0: The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Now, I just love being in the auditorium when uh, uh, Tyler and the band are leading worship. Don't they do a great job? Thank those guys for leading us this morning. Hey, if you're new this morning, if no one has told you, uh, welcome, let me be the first to say that to you. We're so honored that you're here, and uh, we're excited for what's going to happen today. A lot of cool things going on in the life of our church right now. We're about to launch a student ministry. We just hired a kids ministry intern on Thursday. We're going to introduce you to her here in a couple weeks. Uh, A lot of other things going on outside of this room, and property, and everything going on here in our church. Just a lot of cool things. So I want to welcome you. Thanks for being here. And I want to pray for us in our time in the word this morning. God, I pray that you would speak to us, Lord. God, as we open up the scriptures, may the most powerful words be spoken today be the words we read from the pages of scripture, God. God, you are the same today, just as you were yesterday, and you will be tomorrow. And so, God, as we open up the word, I pray that you speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody in the Colony Theater said, amen and amen. Hey, we're in a sort of a one-off week. We start a brand new series next week, and so I just wanted to speak to you this morning about something I've been thinking about here for several weeks now, and I uh, hope it'll be good for you. I don't know if I've told you this story or not before, but not long after I moved to Los Angeles, my mom came into town with her aunt and, and a friend of hers, and, and they were like, hey, we want to go to a, a game show, and uh, I'm like, cool, we'll figure one out and send you guys out. And they're like, well, we want you to go with us, and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to a game show, but you guys want to go. That's cool. We'll figure one out, and so uh, Uh, We we booked tickets for this uh, show called Let's Make a Deal. Anybody heard of Let's Make a Deal? Hosted by Wayne Brady, which is a pretty cool guy. And so um, I was like, well, Laura can go. my wife. She can go. I'm just going to stay here. You guys have fun. It's going to be great. She's like, no, you're going. And so I was like, okay, great. Awesome. This is not what I want to do, but I'll do it because it's my mom, right? You're supposed to do that kind of stuff for your mom. And... um, and so I dressed, dressed up as this is the show where you got to dress up. You've never seen it before. And so I dressed up as a uh, Los Angeles Dodgers baseball player. All right, the most inconspicuous person. In, surely they have a Dodgers baseball player every single episode. And I'm like, I'm gonna dress up as a Dodgers baseball player so I don't get chosen. Right? And so my mom and my aunt had done all the research. They're like, Hey, this is what they say. This is how you get picked. You go in. You talk to everybody. You're smiling. You put your phone away. You put it in your back pocket. And these these are all the things you do to not get, I mean, to get picked. And so I'm like, great. I'm going to do every single one of those things. I'm not talking to anybody. I'm going to be on my phone. And so we get to the lot over in Van Nuys. And, um, <clears throat> and so we show up and immediately this, the, the, the uh, casting, uh, the contestant producer guy for whatever reason, he just like we started talking. He wouldn't stop talking to me, and so um, and so we go through the process. One thing led to another. I was the second contestant chosen on the show, and uh, until that point, I was like, "This is the worst thing ever." And uh, and anyway, when they called my name, I can't explain it. Something happened. Something exploded. Like uh, all this energy came out, this enthusiasm. <laughs> and I hope you never see the show because it was so embarrassing. And. Uh, <laughs> And I get up there and I'm standing beside Wayne Brady and there's this other girl there and he's like, okay, you have, you got a choice. You can choose $1,000, I've got it right here in my hand, or you can choose door number three, right? And she's like... I'm going to go with door number three. And so they pull back the door and there's a donkey behind the door. And so like, ah, ah, ah. And she goes and sits down. And then Wayne Brady looks at me. He's like, okay, you can choose $1,000 in my hand or you can choose what's behind this box on this table. And I'm like, you know what? I'm a risk taker. I love, $1,000 would be great. I'm going to go for the box, all right? And so I go for the box. He pulls the top off the box. And when he does, music starts playing. The crowd goes crazy. And if you know me personally, you know, I don't hear well, and so... um and so I, when he pulled the top off, I couldn't hear what he was saying. And I just looked at the table and it was this picture frame with like this generic family photo in it. And it looked like, like if you went to like JCPenney or Macy's or something like that. It looked like you went to buy a picture frame, and that was the picture. And so I thought, oh, I got zonked, I lost. And so everybody's going crazy and he's talking, and, and you know, and I'm like, oh, I lost. And then I look up and the cue card is in front of me. And I start reading the cue card. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I won, I won. And so, and so, uh, as the crowd calms down, Wayne Brady's like, and you win, uh, a thousand dollars Saks Fifth Avenue gift card. I was like, awesome. That's cool. And then he's like, and you won a $2,500 hair and makeup makeover. (laughs) Now look, all right. Um, I know we haven't known each other long. We've only been here a couple years, but uh, I'm not the man I used to be. My hair is a little bit grayer. Uh, It's a little bit thinner. Like back here, if you look closely, there's like a bald spot. I realize I really need a hair makeover, all right? But you got to pay 40% taxes on that. And I'm like, I'm not paying 40% taxes on a $2,500 hair and makeup makeover that included a photo shoot. I'm like, what am I going to do with a photo shoot, Right? Even though I could really use a makeover, that would be awesome. And I thought about that as I'm preparing to speak to you this morning. And I thought, how the church in America has this makeover concept in process with Jesus today. And uh, for whatever reason, we look at the church locally in America and we think, man, the church is just not relevant. The church has some things about it. We've got some cracks and some wrinkles and some places that need to be massaged. We really should give Jesus a makeover so he's more acceptable and palatable to the people in our cities. Can I say to you this morning, Jesus does not need a makeover. Jesus is the same yesterday as he is today, as he will be tomorrow. And even though it's good sometimes to get a makeover, I love going to get a massage. My daughter is going to get her nails done today. It's good for some of us to get a makeover. But can I say to you today, Jesus does not need a makeover. Can I also say to you this morning, it is still possible to be a church that's relevant in a city, yet still faithful to the Jesus we find in the Bible. And that struggle is not new to the church in Los Angeles in 2018. That struggle was real 2,000 years ago to the church in Corinth. If you got a Bible this morning, open it up to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And Paul is addressing the local church in Corinth. Now, if you've ever read the, read the book of Acts that comes before 1 Corinthians, you see the early church is together. They are one. They are unified. They have everything in common. And you read it, and you're like, yes, this is what every church should be. And then you get the 1 Corinthians. You're like, wow, they're really jacked up. How did they miss? Where, where's the gap here between Acts and 1 Corinthians? And so Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth who's got some issues. They got some real issues. And I'm encouraged by that, by the way, as a pastor, because sometimes things look really good from the outside, but there's always challenges. There's always issues. There's always problems. And so the church in Corinth is having these problems. The believers in Corinth not only have moral problems and unity problems, but they're having problems from the outside as they are trying to be a church that exists for Jesus in their city. And so Paul is going to address two types of people, two people specifically, two subgroups of people in their community that they're having issues with as they're preaching the gospel, as they're teaching Jesus, as they're exposing Jesus to their city. And those two groups of people are the Jews and the other group of people are the Greeks. And Paul is saying we're having issues here. Let me tell you what these issues are and let me tell you what the solution is to being a relevant church who sticks to who Jesus is and who God is as we know him in his revealed scriptures. And these problems are not foreign to us today. First Corinthians chapter one, starting in verse 18. And I'm going to go verse by verse. This is how we prefer to teach and preach on a Sunday morning at Story City Church. We like to open the Bible. And we just simply like to walk verse by verse. And hopefully in doing so, help you understand. If you were to sit down on a Monday morning and open up the Bible for yourself, it would hopefully help you understand how to do it for yourself. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. First Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Paul says, for the word of the cross, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message of the cross is the gospel. This is what Paul is just leading out here with. The message of the cross is the gospel. It's the message that Paul preached. It's the message that the disciples preach. It's the message that we proclaim here today. The message of the cross is the gospel that changes people's lives. And Paul says, when the message of the cross was preached in Corinth, as it is in Los Angeles... He said, the reaction to some in that city is that they considered the message foolishness. Now, the Greek word for foolishness there in chapter 1, verse 18, is the word morea. And that may not make much sense to you, but the derivative English word for morea, you can guess it. What do you think that word may be? More what? Moron, right? That's where we get our English word is moron. In other words, Paul is saying, when the message of the gospel is preached in Corinth, The response and the reaction of the people who are hearing the gospel is that they believe it is foolishness. They believe it is moronic. you ever feel like that sometimes? As a Christian, as a church member, as an alien living in a city that wants to know Jesus and for him to... you ever feel like that? Like like you just sense somebody's looking down your back. They're like, I hear what you're saying. (laughs) I hear what your church and I see what they are doing. Don't you just sense that sometimes? But you sense they think it's moronic. They think we are morons. Literally, Paul is saying they think we're foolish. They think we're out of our mind. And that's okay with me, by the way. And I hope that is okay with you. But Paul is saying when the gospel is preached here in Corinth, people consider it moronic they look at the way you teach they look at the things you say they look at the places you go they look at how you spend your Sunday mornings rather at the beach on a beautiful Sunday morning you're gathered around with a bunch of other weirdos who dress up and come to church and hear the preaching of a text that's 2,000 years old and they look at it and they say that's moronic That's foolishness but listen to what Paul says The message of the cross is foolish to those who are dying and don't want anything to do with the gospel. But listen to what he says. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Anybody testify this morning about the power of God in your life? testify about the power of God having changed your life. At one point in your life, you may have considered the message of the cross foolish and moronic, but the power of God is working in such a way in your life that it has changed your life and you now see it differently than those who think it's foolish. The message of the cross brings power to those of us who know Christ. The message of the cross brings power to those of us who are being saved. Yet to those who are on the outside looking in, what we are saying and what we are doing and how we're wasting a Sunday morning when it could be anything else in our life, they consider it foolish. But listen to what Paul says in verse 19. For it's written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise. This is a quote from the Old Testament. And I will destroy the intelligence of the intelligence. I will frustrate. But verse 20, this is what Paul says. But where is the wise person? (laughs) Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? (laughs) Paul's like, where where are the smart people? Can I could just call all the, the wise people of the day in our city down to the front. Can I just ask you, where are the wise people? Now, listen, in this day in the Greek community, there were as many as 50 different philosophical sects, if you will, 50 different philosophical parties or denominations, or a bunch of different ideas and ways of thinking about life. And the Greeks love to try to figure it out with their mind. They love to try to figure out why we're here, they love to try to figure out how we got here. They loved to try to figure out what's the purpose of being here the greeks love to try to figure out life with their mind paul's saying hey Everybody who's wise, everybody who's a philosopher, everybody who's thinking about how this thing came into being, could you come down front? Because I want to ask you a question. Now, there are some in our culture, in our society, that believe we've been in process for millions of years. I don't particularly hold to that. However, the fact remains, we've been in process for millions of years according to how some believe. It's been 2,000 years since this was written. And the question I have today is the same question Paul had for the people of his day. We are still in a place where there is injustice where there is war, where we have difficulty living in unity with one another. And Paul says, where are the wise people of the day? Where are the philosophers who are figuring it out with their mind? Now, let me say this. I'm grateful for worldly wisdom. I really am. If I have a medical issue, I I want a wise doctor, don't you? You, you want someone who is smart and intelligent and they know their profession. If you have an issue with your car, you want someone who knows how to diagnose and fix your car. If you have issues in your life, you want an expert to speak into the process. But Paul is saying, This process of trying to figure out life and how God fits in it and how we got here and how we should relate to one another. Is the world a better place because of your philosophy, which we can't even agree on here in Corinth because there's 50 different philosophical parties and movements going on at the time. There's still poverty. There's still injustice. There's still war. Paul says, if you're wise, you think you can figure it out. Listen to me. We're no better than we were then. And because we have a certain way of viewing the world that disagrees with a philosophy, you consider it foolishness. And so the Greeks of his day would have looked at how Paul would explain the world. And they would say, you believe there's a God who existed before everything? I can't explain that. Oh, you, you believe there's a God not only that existed before everything, but, but he created everything? I, I cannot explain that. Or you believe there's a God who existed before everything. He created everything. And not only did he exist and create, but he stepped into the creation that he made. You see, the philosophers, the Greeks of the day, would have no concept for a God who would leave his place and dwell among humanity. Greeks and philosophers would have said, I have no concept for that. I can't explain that. I think that is foolish. Not only do you believe there's a God who existed before, he created, he stepped into it, but then now you believe that same God is a God who performs miracles? I cannot explain miracles. I believe what you believe is foolishness and moronic. But there's a God who existed before. He created everything. He stepped into it. He performed miracles. And now you tell me that same God actually died, gave his own life. He was innocent and suffered the the, the most cruel form of punishment the Roman Empire offered. That's the God you want me to believe in? I cannot explain that. I believe your message is foolish. So Paul says there are people who with their mind try to figure out life and in the Greeks at their time, the problem with Greeks is that they thought if I can't solve the issue, if I can't figure it out with my mind, I cannot believe it. They wanted wisdom to figure out why life is like it is and how if there is a God, how he would relate to us. And if they could not, they said it was foolish. You ever encounter people like that? Want to use their mind, but they can't figure it out. They look at us like we're crazy. Like, like, how do you explain miracles? How do you explain a man in the belly of a whale? How do you explain a dead man coming alive? I, I can't explain that. Therefore, I cannot believe that. And then listen to what verse 21 says. For since in the wisdom of God... The world through its wisdom did not know him. In fact, Paul acknowledges this whole process. In fact, it's as if Paul says, I recognize and realize the way you think about life does not make sense and it's not parallel with the way we think about life. But since in your own wisdom you can't figure it out, listen to what it says in verse 21b. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Now I'm going to come back to verse 21 here in a moment. Verse 22 says, but Jews demand signs, and Greeks look For wisdom. Greeks want to figure things out with their mind. We've already said that. And we encounter those people every single day. If you're a student in a secular educational environment, you encounter this type of thinking every single day. But if you're a businessman or you work in the industry, you still encounter this sort of thinking. You encounter those who think they can create their own future by the work of their own hands. The problem is they encounter a problem when it doesn't go the way they thought and they had worked and they had planned for. Greeks are always searching for wisdom. How can I figure out the way to life? How can I figure out the easy way to life? How can I figure out the most conducive and purposeful way in life? And they're trying to figure it out with their mind. Paul says those Greeks, they search for wisdom, but there's a second one. The Jews, they demand for signs. You know the background here of the Jewish people that Paul is referring to They've got hundreds of years of all of these things that have been written and said and prophesied about and predicted about this Savior who would come. Now think about this for a moment. This this subculture of people in the world at this time known as the Jews are people who have lived this tumultuous existence. They're constantly in fear of someone else. They're constantly being subjected to other people. It started out in the book of Exodus. By the time we find ourselves here, they're still at parts of the world being exiled. And so Jews have heard, they have read about this Savior who would come. And they've got this thought, we need a sign. Who is this Savior? who's going to come and usurp the political and cultural power of the day in order to bring what they called shalom, peace. Think about it for a moment. These Jews are looking for a sign. Even the Pax Romana, you know the Pax, or the Roman peace, even Roman peace only was temporary. Until this point in time when Paul is writing, the Roman Empire had not been at peace for 200 years. They were at war with themselves. They were at war with other people around them. And so the Jews, not only the Jews, but the Romans living in this day, they're living in a tumultuous time. And they wanted a sign, a Savior, the one who had been promised for hundreds of years who would rise up and be their advocate and be their protector. The guy would then, who they thought was the one who would be the one to come was then, you know the story, put on the cross. (laughs) He was put on the cross and he was buried in a grave. He was so financially unstable. The grave they placed him in was not even his own. And the Jews who were looking for signs that day When Jesus was placed in a borrowed grave, the one whom they thought would rise up and give them protection. When he was placed in a grave, Jesus became a stumbling block to the Jews. They thought he would set up an earthly kingdom. They were looking for the sign. They wanted evidence with their mind. Do you know the record of scripture? The sign they had was this man who was born of a virgin lived 33 years on earth, a perfectly sinless life. Those who knew Jesus the best said about him, in him, he knew no sin. He performed miracles. He healed the blind. He raised the dead. He divided food. He preached the kingdom of the gospel. And the sign they needed was standing in front of them. Yet when he was put in the grave, Jesus was no longer the evidence of what they had been looking for. He was the stumbling block that they could not believe. And when he went to the grave, their hopes of a savior went with him. You know, people in our city are just like the Jews who could not believe, who were looking for a sign. They, all around them, they are looking for this sort of God who acquiesces to their circumstances and their scenarios All around us, there are people who are searching for signs and evidence of a God, sort of like a genie in a bottle, the God who makes a dirty windshield clean, right? The God who massages the financial scenario and health scenario of all of our lives. And for a moment, when things are going well, those people in our culture today who are looking for signs and evidence, they capture a faded glimpse of the God we find in the Bible. But when circumstances change and when life shatters, that God does not work for them anymore. And now Jesus is not a savior. Jesus is a stumbling block. And when their life shatters, so do their hopes. And they abandon this idea of a God who can explain it all. You see, the problem in Paul's day in Corinth is the same issue we encounter in our city today as well. We encounter people who want to figure it out. We encounter people who want a sign of a God being there. And the church today has this tremendous challenge and issue of, of displaying Jesus and being Jesus and being faithful to the Jesus we find in the Bible. How, do we be a, how can we be a relevant church in our city yet still be faithful to the God of the Bible? Now listen to what Paul says how we do that. Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified. Do you hear that? We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and moronic to the Gentiles, the Greeks. Paul says, I don't have that to offer you. I don't have this tight-knit philosophical argument that, that checks every single box that you learned in your philosophy class in college. I don't even have a great sign. The only sign I have is that I saw him. I was, he was once alive, then he was dead, and now he's no longer there, and I know that doesn't add up to the sign you were looking for, and all I have to tell you is that Christ came to the world. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for me. He rose on the third day and that's it that's all i have to offer you all i have to give you is christ crucified on the cross we don't have anything to offer our city but christ crucified that's what we have to offer. We offer Christ. We offer Christ crucified. But this is where the local church in America commingles with foolishness and signs. Listen to me. Listen to me. I want to speak to you today and tell you we want to be a church that's relevant in our city, yet faithful to the God we find in the Bible. And there is no way, no how, no shape, no form. We will acquiesce to the culture's view of God. We're going to be faithful to the God we find in the Bible, yet the local church has the issue and the challenge every single week when they co-mingle when we co-mingle with foolishness and signs and so we try to make over jesus to the culture we try to make him palatable and a little mess a little more easy and in reality what we end up doing is we end up defending people to jesus Do you understand what I'm saying here? I don't mean we defend Jesus to people. We do the opposite. We defend people to Jesus. But Jesus, don't you know, people think differently today. But Jesus, don't you know, people are born this way. But Jesus, don't you know, this is the challenge in our city. But Jesus, don't you know, this is how people respond when we say this. Jesus, don't you know, the mind has evolved to not believe in the miraculous. But Jesus, don't you know, this is how people are going to respond when we preach this message. And so the local church has this opportunity to not commingle with foolishness and signs when we decide consciously and obviously and evidently to do nothing but preach Christ and Christ crucified. We don't try to make it palatable. Listen to me, I don't mean we don't live the gospel. We believe the gospel, we live the gospel, we are generous, we are huge on faith, we are huge on grace, we live the gospel in our city, but in no way do we look at Jesus and we look at the culture and we say, I know the only way you're going to believe, the only way you're going to bow your knee is if you see Jesus differently. So I know you heard Jesus said this. That's not actually true. We don't believe. I know you heard Jesus taught this. It's not actually what we believe. I know it's written in the Bible, yet we don't really talk about that. The only way for a local church to be relevant and effective in a city is to be faithful to Christ and Christ crucified, not to be reactionary to a culture, not to craft slogans to make the Bible seem less like God and more like humanity, not to preach sermon series that seem to have so little to do with God, sometimes not even mentioning God or Jesus. Because when we do so, when we co these signs and this cultural wisdom, we have a tendency to look and to sound very little like Jesus. And when you preach a little Jesus and a lot of cultural relevance, you get a little Jesus and a lot of cultural relevance that doesn't look... Anything like the scriptures. We think Jesus needs this new PR firm. Jesus doesn't need a new PR firm. Yes, who he is. We offer what we offer. We don't retreat from the gospel of power to this bunker of safety. We don't wave the white flag of surrender. Well, the culture is really pressing in on us on this, and so we should just retreat. No, 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 no. We're not arrogant. We're not proud. We don't ram things down people's throats. We preach Christ crucified. We're not reactive to people's perception about our faith and our God and our Jesus. God doesn't need a PR specialist to change his image. He doesn't need us to remake who he is. And what's the point this morning, Pastor Matt? The point is this. Sometimes the message of the cross offends people. Sometimes. It happened in Corinth. It's happened for 2,000 years. It happens today. Let me prove it to you. Did you hear what happened last week? Greg Laurie, you know Greg Laurie, pastor of a great church in Orange County, billboard. Greg Laurie holding a Bible in his hand saying, come to Harvest Crusade. They've been doing it for three decades, over 500,000 people. Their lives have been changed by the preaching of the gospel. Two billboards in Orange County. People complain. supposedly there were threats issued Because of a man on a billboard holding a book that didn't even say the Bible, even though you knew innately it was the Bible. Listen to me. The message of the cross offends people. And in order to be an effective relative church, relevant relevant church in our city, We should do everything we possibly can not to offend people. We do things not to offend people and how we talk to them, how we react to them, how we care for them or how we don't care for them. We talk about this often. There are often times in our church where people look at things differently than we do in scripture. And on those days when people are just obstinate and say, you know what, I don't believe like you and they become divisive And there's disunity there, I simply say, and we simply say to our staff, don't lose an ounce of sleep at night when it's the scripture we're standing on. Now, if we've offended them by how we've talked, if we've offended them by how we've reacted, if we've offended them by how we have loved them, then we have a problem. But the message of the cross will always offend Some. The fact remains that Jesus still loves those people, though. The fact remains that Jesus still cares for those people who don't see it as we see it. And the truth of the matter is that we were all some of those people at one time as well, if we know Jesus. All we have to offer is Christ and Christ crucified. Verse 24, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, listen to me. Christ is the power of God and he is the wisdom of God. The power of God, the power we have is not in our branding, it's not in our website, it's not in our social media, it's not in our image. The power of gunpowder, by the way, it's unuseful in the chamber of a gun. The power of gunpowder is only useful when it's released and it demonstrates explosiveness. The power we have is Christ and Christ crucified. And I want to say to you, that's every bit as relevant to me today as it has ever been in my life. Verse 25, and I'm almost done. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And even though sometimes people are offended by Jesus, the man, offended by the message of his Bible, let's go back real quick and let's close this out. Listen to what Paul says in verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom, did not know God. They could not know God. They could not figure him out. Any sign that they wanted to see it was not sufficient to them. But God was well pleased through the foolishness of what was preached. save those who believe. Sometimes the message of the gospel offends people, but can I say to you this morning church, sometimes the message of the gospel saves people. Anybody testify to the power of God in your life that saved you this morning? Anybody identify and say, the power of God and the gospel has saved me and it has changed me. And at one time, I was offended by the gospel. And it was because I was offended by the gospel that I was driven to my knees to see God for who he really is. And this is how God works. He doesn't come to us in the way we expect or even anticipate through signs and wisdom. Listen to me. He chose a different way, a way that's countercultural to people in our city. That doesn't mean we regress. That doesn't mean we hide. That doesn't mean we retreat. That means we are who we are. We preach what we preach. We do what we do. We believe the gospel. We live the gospel. And we call everyone we encounter to the same life-changing power that has changed us. Has the gospel changed your life today? Have you come to the place where you've been brought low and you've seen how God has seen you in all of your sin? And in spite of all of your sin and the way you don't add up in the eyes of God, God still looks at you and says, in spite of your sin, you are more sinful than you ever believed, yet you are more loved than you could ever possibly imagine. Has that love ever changed you? Have you ever looked at Jesus on the cross who died for your sins and said, Jesus, I need to be saved and forgiven of my sin? I bow my Have you ever been there? Has the power of the message of the gospel changed your Life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're going to close out this morning. There's nothing magical or mystical about how the power of God changes somebody's life. We simply believe that when that message is preached, the power is sufficient in and of itself. And that message is this: God created you, Genesis 1:1. You're not a happenstance, accident, or circumstance. God loves you, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world. There's a problem between you and God as you currently stand, according to Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The result of that sin, that offense against God, according to Romans chapter 6, verse 23, is death, both in this life and the next, if that problem is never solved. But God offers a solution in chapter 5 of Romans, verse 8. But God demonstrated His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we continue to have a problem, God offered a solution. He died for us on the cross. That if we would confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, Romans chapter 10, believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, turned from our sin. The scripture says in John chapter 1, that not that we can be, ought to be, might be saved, we will be saved, and we will be called a child of God. Have you listened to the gospel? Has the power of God changed your life? Is it doing it today? If you've never been saved, I want to I ask you this morning, right there where you're seated, nothing magical or mystical about it. We're not going to bring you on stage, make you say anything you don't want to say, make you do anything you don't want to do. We simply want to bring you to the point where you hear the gospel. The Spirit of God may be speaking to you, and you look back to God and you say, God, I know who I am and how you see me, yet, God, I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to be saved. I want the power of the gospel to change my life. And if that's you this morning, I want to pray for you. You do me a favor, nobody looking around, no heads, every head bowed, every eye in this auditorium is closed. It doesn't matter the right to the left or the front to the back. If you've never been saved this morning, you're like, I, 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 want the power of God to change my life and to save me. Can you just do me a favor? Nobody looking around. We just raise your hand? Because I'm going to pray for you. Anybody? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out. Anybody in this room? Praise God. Anybody? For the rest of us in here, we have acknowledged, we've made a watershed statement in this moment, that the gospel has saved us and changed us. Can I issue a compassionate plea to believe the gospel today? Tomorrow when you wake up, believe the gospel then. When you go to work on Tuesday, believe the gospel then. When you head out to lunch on Wednesday, believe the gospel then. Live the gospel. Be obstinate about grace and faith and Jesus and who He is. And don't believe a lie that you need to be the Savior to humanity and defend humanity to Jesus. Just believe the gospel. Live the gospel maybe, just maybe, God will allow you, many of us, to see the power of God change many people's lives. Lord, thank you for today. God, we're thankful for the scriptures. God, it's as relevant today as it has ever, 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 ever been. And God, may we be that church who loves deeply. God, who's obstinate about grace. We are going to be a grace-filled, full people. We're going to live generously in our city. Why? Because we believe the power of the gospel and the message of the gospel, the message of the cross. God, may the Spirit of God lead us tomorrow, tonight, Tuesday, Friday afternoon, to believe the gospel and to live it. And I believe, Jesus, you could do something extraordinarily powerful in our city through a local church that believes the message of the cross and lives it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.